You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and uh, turn them to, open them up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. As we uh, see all of the things that are going on at the Christmas time, all of the distractions that there are, and lots of them are fun, they're not wrong in and of themselves, but so often they become a distraction from what the real reason of the season is. What are the real reasons for uh, what we're doing? And that's the series we've been looking at uh, in the first week we took a look at the need. And in Matthew chapter 1 it says, He will save His people from their sins. See, the season's reasons, uh, one of those reasons is because we were separated from God and we had no hope. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the continuing of God's work of bringing us to the place where we can put our faith and trust in a Savior who paid a price for us to give us the hope of eternal life. So the season's reasons, number one, was because of the need. The second reason we looked at last week was because of the glory. Uh, the season's reason is for the glory of God. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ, God, came to earth to display God's love, his care, his passion, his love, his mercy, his grace was all demonstrated for us the, in the season's reasons, the glory. And then this week we want to take a look at the season's reason of the promise that is fulfilled or the promises that are fulfilled. You know, promises are important. Um, in our lives as we're growing up as kids, when we uh, make a promise to each other, some people would say, okay, let's pinky swear. Let's pinky swear. And so you would hook your pinkies together, and, and by doing that, you were making your promise that you were going to do what you said you were going to do. Or, or maybe it was, uh, across my heart, I hope to die. If that was the promise that you made, that you would do what you said you would do. Or uh, maybe as you grew older, it became a handshake. Um, and you shook hands with somebody, you shook on the deal because you made a promise and you were going to keep the promise. Or uh, maybe it was just you gave your word. Um, as we get older or we get into business, then we see contracts being signed and uh, they're a promise that we're going to uh, keep our words. Or uh, some of you in this room stood right here or right here and uh, made your promises to each other in your vows. And you made commitments to each other that uh, we're together. God has put us together and we're together for the rest of our lives. He promises are important. The promise of vows between a man and his bride or uh, a wife and uh, her husband are key words, promises between a dad and his children are key words. And um, some of you, though, grew up in homes where promises weren't kept. And so when you think about the promises that God has made, you wonder because it's like, well, like my dad promised the world, that, but he never delivered. He said he'd come to my games, but he never came. He said we would do this, but we never actually did it. And so you grew up in an environment where promises weren't kept. Well, the God that we serve, the God, the creator of the universe, is a promise-keeping God. And that's what we want to take a look at today. So get your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as uh, we read that text, uh, Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Uh, follow along as I read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing privilege that we have to come and worship together. As we listen to the children saying, King of heaven, come now. Uh, it, it's your time, in your timing, in your way. Uh, you delivered the, uh, the, the Son, Jesus Christ, to come. Uh, Father, he was an amazing gift because it's through his work that we can be saved. So, Lord, as we think about the promises fulfilled today, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear your words so carefully. Um, Give us minds to understand it, but then, Lord, give us hearts to live out because of what you've done, what you've accomplished in our lives. And, Lord, for the person who's here today who's maybe doubting or maybe struggling or maybe has never trusted Christ, would, would they see Jesus in a new way as your spirit works in them? And, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, do in this place, in each heart, what only you can do for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, our jump-off verse is uh, verse 25, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. See, at exactly the right time, in exactly the right place, in exactly the right way, uh, Jesus Christ was born. And promises were fulfilled. In Galatians 4, 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come, in God's timing, when he was ready, in the fullness of, when, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So three things we want to see today. Uh, thing number one, the first thing is God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. None of us do it perfectly. I try to do it well, but I don't always do it. But God always does what he says he will do. God keeps his promises. I love Romans 1, 1 to 4. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures that Jesus Christ would come. There's a lot of things. We're going to see some of them in a few moments. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, promised beforehand by his prophets. Uh, some Bible scholars say there are up to or over 300 prophetic scriptures that are completed in the life of Christ. 300 times something in the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus Christ was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
something about his birthplace or his lineage or uh, the method by which uh, he would come and do miracles or his death or his resurrection. All through the Old Testament, all scattered throughout the Old Testament are these prophecies that would be about our, our Savior. There were two men, their names were Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. They wrote a book called A Science Speaks. And they discussed the statistical improbability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling eight, eight of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ uh, prophecies that, that he couldn't control, Jesus Christ didn't control them, um, where he would be born, when he would be born, how he would die, when he would die, his resurrection, those eight. If just eight of those proved to be true, things totally outside of his control, the statistic would say the odds of that happening are one in 10 to the 17th power. So 10 and then 17 more zeros. I tried to think hundreds, millions, billions, trillions. I, I can't even tell you what the number is. I, I don't know. Somebody will probably come and tell me afterwards what it is. I don't really care. So you can come and tell me, but I won't really care. All I know is it's a ridiculous odd that that could ever happen. That even eight of those things that were uncontrolled by him would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when we think about those, they should give us great comfort. And they should give us great hope. So I want to take a little bit of time this morning and go through uh, some of the promises that were seen in the Old Testament and how they were fulfilled in the New Testament. You're not going to have any time to look any of these up. Uh, so just jot down the verses if you would like. The first one is that he would be born of a woman. Uh, Genesis 3.15, in the garden after the fall, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We already read the verse in Galatians 4.4, the answer to this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He would be a descendant of Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Matthew 1.1, the chapter we were reading earlier, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He would be the heir to the throne of David, Isaiah 9.7, of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it within, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see that fulfilled in Luke 1, 32 and 33. For he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem. You know, I, I love that one because Jesus was actually from Nazareth. That's where Mary and Joseph were. And somehow, for this to all work out, they had to get Mary uh, to Bethlehem. And God did that work. God had that all worked out. And he called for a census to happen. And, and Mary and Joseph, they traveled down to Bethlehem. And lo and behold, the Lord is born in Bethlehem just like the Bible said he would. Luke 2, 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he is of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. In Luke chapter 1, 26 to 31, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from, the, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He'll be born of a virgin. Now, beyond the birth of Jesus Christ, there were lots of prophecies about the Lord as well. First of all, that he would not be believed, he would be rejected. Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Fulfilled in John 12, 37 and 38, though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the Lord who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. The Old Testament teaches us that Jesus would be betrayed by a close friend in Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Fulfilled in Luke 2, uh, 22, 47 and 48. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The Old Testament uh, taught us that Jesus would die a vicarious death. He would be our vicarious sacrifice. He would stand in our place. In Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We see that fulfilled in Romans 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Old Testament taught that God would forsake his son. Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the word of my groaning? Fulfilled in Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No bones would be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20, he keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. In John 19, 32 to 36, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was borne witness that his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. 
He would be resurrected in Psalm 1610 for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Mark 16, 6 says, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then the last verse, or the last one, he will ascend to the right hand of God. Psalm 68, 18 says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among, among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 says, He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Why is that so important? Why is it so critical? Well, God keeps his promises. When God says he will do something, he does it. And we just looked at a very few, but uh, they're scattered all throughout the Old Testament. We have all of these promises that come from God. All of these things that he says he will do and will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And God fulfills these promises. It proves that he is true. It proves that he is honorable. It proves that he is right. And God keeps his promises, which leads us to the second point. Kept promises builds trust. Kept promises builds trust. As I said earlier, trust or, or believing promises is difficult for some in this room. Because that wasn't your experience. That's not what happened in your home. Or maybe that's not what happened in your job site. Or that's not what happened in your relationship. And promises were made and promises weren't kept. And if your dad told you one more time he was coming to your game and he didn't show up, you didn't know what you were going to do because the promises weren't kept. But God has always kept his promises. If your life has been filled with unkept promises, it's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to trust. And that's why you need to go back and see in the Old Testament what God has done and what he said he would do and how he has done it. Uh, Stephen Covey, the writer of the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said this, nothing destroys trust faster than making and breaking promises. Conversely, nothing builds trust Faster than, faster than keeping promises. Nothing destroys trust faster than making and breaking promises. Conversely, and nothing builds trust faster than keeping your promises. And so dads and moms out here, the little ones, who we saw a whole herd of them up here today, do you keep your promises with them? You claim to be raising them up to love the Lord and grow in the ways of the Lord and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And are you modeling what God modeled for us? Are you modeling God keeps his, his promises? It's something Sue and I worked at really hard with our kids. And believe me, I don't stand up here in some pious sense going, we got that all figured out and we did it perfectly. We didn't do it perfectly. But it was a high priority for us but I do know this, and I've said this to you before, when we said to our kids, I promise, we always, always, I think always, we always delivered on that. I can't think of a time when we said, Carl, I promise I'll be there this afternoon. Or I promise we're going to, or I promise we did it. We did it. Didn't matter what it cost. We had to set something else aside because it was a promise that we made. And... Um, and God keeps his promises, and promises builds trust. A trust is not exactly the same thing as faith. Faith is a gift. 
Rather, trusting is what we do because of faith. Uh, we believe, and therefore we now can trust. Um, Isaiah 26.3 says, you will, keep, you will keep in peace him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then in verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Trust in the Lord. God's promises allow us to build trust and hope in who he is and what he says. It's the Lord in whom we trust. And we don't trust in ourselves we don't trust in our plans. We get caught up in these things as well. Uh, we, we've got our plan for work. We've got our trajectory of where we're going to be in five years and 10 years and 20 years. Is it wrong to make plans? It's not wrong to make plans. In his heart, a man makes his plans, but God orders our steps. That's what Proverbs teaches us. It's right to make plans. Uh, but the reality is, don't put your trust in your plans. Don't put your hope in your plan. Our hope is in the Lord, and so often his plan is not our plan, and his path is not our path, but he will lead us, and he will take care of us, and he will be our hope. Kept promises builds trust. The Lord's life was trustworthy. His word was trustworthy. His nature is trustworthy. His plans for us are perfect and purposeful. They are worthy. God's nature is such that we can trust him, and we learn that when we put our trust in ourselves, we ultimately fall. We ultimately fail. We ultimately let those around us down at some level. Um, Rami and Sarah are sitting in the second row. Great to have your little, your little girl up here. That was so cool to see. And, and they didn't rebel today, which is always good to see. And um, I, I, know this about, um, I know this about Rami and I know this about Sarah, that they deeply love each other. And they really care about each other. Um, but Sarah can't put her trust in Rami. She trusts him. I'm not saying she shouldn't trust him, but it's not where her trust is. And he vice versa. She's a great lady. You got a great wife, man. You married way up when you married her. And uh, <laughs> you can't put your trust in her. Right? Our trust is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. That's the hymn. That's where our trust belongs. And God works in those things, and we are to be like Jesus Christ. We are to be the example. We are to live in ways that are, are building trust. But make sure that you get your primary focus in trust on the right person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, because no matter how faithful I am, at some point I'm going to disappoint um, Kept promises builds trust, and they're important. Um, Psalm 20, verse 7, the psalmist wrote this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I got a smile on my face with a water bottle just like rolled right all the way down. And it's right here in the front and it belongs to somebody in like row five. And uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Crazy stuff happens in church. So I had to do that just to get that passed out of my mind. 
so I get back on. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What's your trust in? What are your chariots? What are your horses? What are you putting your hope in? We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the one who said he would send his son. We trust in the one who accomplished all that he said that he would accomplish. We put our trust that trust is probably best and first demonstrated in our lives when we put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. When you realize what God did, when you realize what God accomplished, when you realize that Jesus came to pay the price that you could not pay. And you, I'm putting my trust in the Lord. I'm putting all my eggs are going in that basket. I'm not trying to keep half of the eggs back for what I can do. It's all going into the, the Lord did this for me. And we transfer our trust from ourself and our hope from ourself and we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. We determine, I'm not going to walk on the path I used to walk on. I'm going to turn and I'm going to put my hope in Jesus Christ so that when I stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not about me. It's not about what I did. It's not about what I tried to accomplish. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about what he did. It's about what he accomplished. It's about how he was the sufficient sacrifice. He was the one who paid the price so I could have eternal life. And most people in this room, I believe, have made that decision. I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. But if you haven't, you can. And you can do it today. Jesus Christ came so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are enemies with God. There isn't anybody righteous. No one gets over the bar on their own. It's by the work of Jesus Christ. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved. And you can do that today. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It was all done for you. Believe and be saved. Well, God keeps his promises Kept promises build trust, and trust brings hope. Trust brings hope. A trust means that I'm confident that another person will care for me and my situation as well or better than I would do it myself. It allows me to let my guard down and frees me to lean upon the other person. It's, it's sharing my my burden, that's what trust is. And that's what trust is in the human sense. How much more is that true in, in, with God in the spiritual sense? I am confident that another person, Jesus Christ, cares for me. And my situation as well is as well or better when I, than I could do it myself. You see, you can't do it to make your life right with God. You can't do it to survive on any given day. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. That is where it comes. In Psalm 37, 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. God wants you to trust him. He's done, gone to great lengths to prove his love for you. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're tempted to doubt that he has your best interest at heart, just look at the cross. If you're tempted to doubt that God has your best interests at heart, just look at the cross. He longs to give you above and beyond what you can even imagine. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
In Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You see, hope can be defined as the desire for something good and the ex expectation of receiving it. That's what hope is. It's the desire for something good and the expectation of receiving it. And when what God promises, what he says he will do, he will deliver. It's already been proven in all that was said about Jesus Christ and all that he will do for you. God is going to come through. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you in the ditch. He's not going to throw you under the bus. God is is going to deliver. That's where our hope is. And it's a great hope. Jesus Christ is the only genuine source of hope because he alone knows what is best and also has the sovereignty and power to secure its fulfillment because that's who God is. We live in a world that's filled with hopelessness. Hopelessness caused by alienation. I'm separated out. I, I'm, I'm separated in my workplace. They've alienated me out, and now I'm being, and, and you become hopeless. Hopelessness because of fear. I'm afraid of what's going to come. Hopelessness because of broken promises, promises made, but, but no delivering. Hopelessness that comes from a lack of vision. There, there's nothing out there. There's no dream. There's no vision for us to move forward. And God talks about the plans I have for you. Hopelessness because of unmet expectations or unkept expectations. Hopelessness because of overwhelming circumstances or, or disappointment or even tribulation. Are you losing hope? Are you losing hope? If you are, get your eyes back on the Lord of hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it look like in your life or my life when uh, we start to lose hope? We get our eyes off of the King of Kings. We get our eyes off of God's promises. We get our eyes off of... I, I thought of some this, the, this week as I was preparing for this. The first one really kind of ties into my own life, and I have to watch it in my own life. And uh, um, when I'm struggling in an area and I'm losing hope, I find myself getting cynical. Cynicism is a, is a sign that... Pastor Paul is losing hope. Um, it shows in my humor and sarcasm. Um, now, sarcasm is also the form of humor that I use the most. It's the lowest form of humor, and therefore I can aspire to that, okay? And so be careful, because every time I'm sarcastic, it's not because I've lost hope, okay? So if I make a sarcastic remark to you this week, you can wonder for a moment, is he lost his hope, or... Or is he just being our crazy pastor? Okay, I have to watch that. That's for me to watch, and uh, because I know that when I'm frustrated, I know that when I'm sarcasm, it just easily can just roll off of my tongue. Huh. What does hopelessness or lack of hope, or you've lost focus? What does it look like for you? Uh, maybe when it you see that it happens because of a loss of passion, and you're just feeling I'm not feeling it like I used to feel it. I was serving in youth, I was serving in Awana, I was serving in wherever it was, I'm a small group leader, and I'm losing my passion for this. And the energy's not there, the time's not going into it anymore, and you find your focus on other things, and, and maybe it's because you're, there's a sense of a loss of hope for you. And I would just say to you, get your eyes back onto the one who gives us hope. 
Well, yeah, but people are disappointing me. Well, yeah, you disappoint people too. Get your eyes back on what God has called us to. Get your hope fixed on him. It can be because of frustration. It can show itself in anger or show itself in despair. The reality is Jesus Christ is our imperishable hope. He is a living hope. What is uh, the Christian's hope? See, most people think that hope is I hope something will happen. I hope I'll get a raise. I hope dinner's not burnt when we get home. I hope, and that kind of hope. Uh, that's not the kind of hope that the Bible, the Bible talks about. Um, the Bible talks about a hope that's a confident expectation. The hope we have in the Lord is that he will do what he said he will do, and our future is taken care of, and I don't have to worry about that anymore. Not, I, I hope it will happen. No, it's going to happen, and I have a confident expectation that God is going to do it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Proverbs 23.18 says, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and, and with my song I give thanks to him. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Psalm 46, 1 to 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we have hope. We have a hope based on the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a hope based on eternity. We have a hope based on what is coming. Our hope is rooted in faith, in the divine salvation that we have in Christ. And so when you think about hope, you see, God keeps his promises. Kept promises leads to trust. And trust leads to hope. And trust leads to hope. Hope because of your salvation. Not the work that you did in it, but the work that God did in it. That gives you great hope. If I had to stand before God based on who I was, I'd have no hope at all. I'd be filled with fear. But because of the salvation worked out for me in Jesus Christ, I have amazing hope. I have the hope of resurrection from the dead. Whether I die or whether the Lord comes back and takes us, we look forward. We look forward to eternal life and the inheritance of the saints. We look forward to the return of Christ. We look forward to eternal glory. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to you and take you to myself. That's the hope we have. That's what God has promised. That's what's out there for every believer but it's only for believers. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So if you think your hope is based on what you've accomplished, your hope is in the wrong place. And God's going to say, sorry, I never knew you. You're not my child. You're not my son. You're not my daughter. But for the one who's put their trust in Christ, there is hope. There's hope. 
that we'll have eternal glory. They will spend eternity with him and we will worship together. And there's hope of being transformed into the likeness of Christ more and more every day as we live out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the season's reasons where there was a huge need. There was a huge need. I was a sinner. I couldn't fix it. The season's reasons where God came so that his glory could be seen. The season's reasons were so there would be a fulfillment, a fulfillment of the promises that God has made and he would send his son. Well, so what? So what? Psalm 32 and verse 20, 33 and verse 22 says, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. See, Christmas is all about hope. It's all about the hope of eternal life. The incarnation is all about Christ coming so that he could die. It's, it's all about hope. And God who keeps his promise can be trusted and in him is our hope. So the reason of the season, God's kept promises, promises bring us the only hope that there really is for mankind. Is your hope in Jesus Christ for your salvation? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, more and more every day, are you getting your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, living out for his glory in the hope that he provides. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you how your word stirs us. Thank you how your spirit works in us. And Lord, uh, you've been putting things on people's hearts all through this message, things that weren't in the, what I said, things that, that weren't part of my notes, but they were things that it's the reason they came to church today. Lord, I pray that you would give each one a desire to respond accordingly to what you have done. Father, the person who's here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ, that your spirit would be working in them. They would come to the place of, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust him for my salvation because not working out for me. My plan's not working out so well. My hope is in the Lord. You sent your son. You sent your son, the holy son of God, that we could have life and have it abundantly. Give us courage and boldness to live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.